Luke wants to tell us something. Luke wants to tell us something. Luke, the gospel writer, he wants to tell us something. And I know it sounds obvious. He is, after all, a gospel writer. So it's safe to assume that he wants to tell us something. He wants to tell us the gospel, right? That's what we call him, gospel writer. Well, that's true, but it's not really that obvious if you stop and think about it. Gospel, after all, just means good news. So the first reasonable question to ask is, what is it that Luke considers to be good news? And we don't get to answer that, I think, only by reading the stories that Luke tells, that he writes down, but also by paying attention to how he tells them. We have more than one gospel writer, right? And they tell the story a bit differently. And that is one of the great things of spending some extended time with one of the gospel writers, like we are doing this spring semester here in OIC with Luke. We start, as we, we spend more time with him, we start noticing that Luke has a way of telling the story, a way of telling the story that hopefully gives us a bit of a different kind of sensibility when hearing and when reading the stories. We start realizing that he's not just reporting stuff, right? He's not just reporting stuff that happened. He is conveying meaning, He is guiding us here and there with how he tells the story because he has something deeper to tell us than just conveying information. Once we are attentive to that, we start seeing things that we hadn't noticed before, which is what happened to me when I read this story that I want to share with you today, and it's in the chapter 7 of the gospel according to St. Luke. I'm going to read from verses 11 to 17. The gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 7, from verse 11, and it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So says the word of the Lord. Luke tells us a story about Jesus, a story about a widow and about her son, a son who was dead, a son who raises from the buyer they had been carrying him on, from the stretcher, 
What is it that moves us, that touches us, that grips us when we hear, when we read, when we meet this story? What is the gripping element in this story? The thing that sort of stays with us when the telling is done. Perhaps it is that a young man who lay dead stands up and has life in him again, raised from the dead. And that is indeed a great wonder for those of us who are more familiar with the wider scripture narrative, uh, this story might start sparking connections to other such wonders, right? With the story of another widow in Sarepta who loses her only son and then has him given back to her with life when prophet Elijah prays over him. Or perhaps we start making these theological connections to Paul's, letters, to the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he talks about the resurrection of the dead. Now, for the crowds gathered around, right, there are now this mixture of those who had been following Jesus on the road and those who had been following the funeral procession out from the city. For this mixed crowd, it was most likely this that made the biggest impact. A dead man rose up from the dead. The power to rise the dead. But I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure that that is what made the strongest impact, the lasting impact on those who first read and heard his story, those Luke had in mind when he was writing this down. It wasn't, in any case, that which gripped my attention and which gripped my heart when I read this story again. For me, it was a word. One word, actually a verb, and actually a Norwegian verb. Sometimes we're so used to picking up a Bible and just reading it that we, we don't think about the fact that what we have in our hands is a translation. The Bible was written in a number of different languages over a long period of time, and None of those languages were English, right? And none, of, and none of that time was now, okay? Sometimes we forget that. What we have in our hands is a translation done with as much care and sensibility as possible to bring the story into the linguistic and conceptual world of a language that we can understand and engage with. And I won't really go further into this whole translation thing because it's deep and it's complicated and it's often beautiful. My only reason for bringing this up today is that this reality of translation means that sometimes when we have the opportunity of reading the biblical narrative in another language, we get the opportunity of engaging with the text in something of a different light, something of a different way of seeing it. And that sometimes gives the opportunity to realizing new dimensions to the text. Well, I recently preached about the same text in Norwegian. And when I was spending time with the text in its Norwegian translation, a word gripped me, a verb. A verb used to describe something 
that God does. And the verb is oyeste, oyeste. Where we read in our English translation, God has come to help his people. God has come to help his people. The Norwegian translation says, Gud har gjestet sitt folk. Gud har gjestet sitt folk. And I was intrigued. I was gripped by this little verb, gjestet. I think it's a fantastic verb. What it means is something like this. It means to make yourself a guest. To make oneself a guest. It's different from being a host. A host is when you're preparing for a guest to come. But this is when making yourself a guest. Gud har gjestet sitt folk. God has made himself a guest to his people. What I love about this verb is that it says something about what one does to oneself when one is a guest. It makes us think about what it entails to make oneself a guest. And many of us here know quite a lot about that, really. About what it means to make oneself a guest. And I'm not thinking now about coming to the service as a guest or going to dinner at your friend's house or spending the weekend at your grandma. Uh, that's generally a very nice and welcoming experience, right? As far as grandma's goes, it usually means being welcomed and having way more food than you should healthily eat. Right? It's a good experience. It's a nice thing. But that's not the only experience of being a guest, right? When I first came to Norway, the conditions of making myself a guest in this country were very different from going to my grandma's house, right? Very different. To make yourself a guest in another country is a different kind of game, as many of you here will know. In many ways, making myself a guest in Norway meant making myself vulnerable, making myself weak, making myself small. And it's like becoming a child again. I was dependent on, a, on help for a whole lot of things and needed to learn a whole lot of things again. Things that a grown-up man should be able to do by himself. Right? How to buy food. How to buy food at Rematusen, right? How to learn what cleaning product should be used where. Learning that Grönsoppe can be used for everything. Did you know that? Everything. It's crazy. From washing the floor to removing warts to treating sick plants. It's like a miracle product. I needed to learn how to dress for the code. So that I wouldn't freeze here in this northern end of the world. A Brazilian doesn't know how to dress for minus 20. You gotta learn. And I needed to learn how to speak again. I was already a preacher, but a preacher with less vocabulary than a kindergarten kid. It's kind of a crisis. And that was me. I was trying to sort of babble my way through everyday stuff. Making myself a guest in Norway demanded something of me. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this experience. If not with Norway, then maybe with another country or situation. 
But this here, this that Luke is talking about, this is much deeper stuff, much more absurd. Gud har gästet sitt folk. God has made herself a guest to her people. God himself made himself into a child. Learn to walk, to eat, to run, to speak, to create phonemes with his mouth. <laughs> Just like a baby. And now, here, God is walking on a road at a place. Right? His dusty feet tramp the ground on his way to a location, to Nain, to village. And as he approaches the town gate, in the middle of this chaotic meeting of the joyful crowd following Jesus the rabbi and the sorrow-filled crowd carrying the young dead man on a bier, in this mess of this meeting, Jesus lifts his eyes and his gaze meets the tear-filled eyes of the widow. And it hits him. It moves him. Don't cry. Don't cry, Jesus says. Don't cry. Not because he thinks that she shouldn't cry of sorrow, but because he recognizes her pain. He knows her pain. Jesus, who himself cries when his friend Lazarus dies. Jesus, who weeps over Jerusalem and all the corruption and pain caused by it. Don't cry. Jesus, whose heart goes out to the widow, says the translation in English. And here again, I really appreciate a Norwegian translation that says, han fick innerlig medfølelse med henne. Innerlig medfølelse. This is like he shared, he shared her inward feelings. He, or, or sort of like he felt within him the feelings within her. Compassion. Don't cry. I see you. This Jesus, this is God among us. God that knows and feels our pains, that sees us in our sorrow. This is how God makes himself a guest among us. After that preaching in Norwegian, uh, I was talking to someone who told me of another use for the verb oyesta in Norwegian history. The verb was used uh, also for when a king or an authority in power would come to visit. And this kind of visit was not necessarily a welcome visit. It was a forceful one. Suddenly you were informed that the king was coming to your farm and was going to make himself a guest at your house. It doesn't matter if you have enough for the winter or not, you're going to lay it out for the king. Right? You would have to find a way of providing for the needs and the whims of the king. And that's how power usually works in this world. 
But that's not how God makes himself a guest in Christ. Luke wants us to know that God being among us is good news. And he continues in verse 18, just on the wake of this story. He says, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent, John sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When a man came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight the lame walk, those who have leprosy are clean, cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. A God who serves, a God who heals, a God who gives sight, but also a God who sees a God who knows and feels our pain, and not from a distance. No, this is a God that feels within himself that which afflicts us, that knows in his own body, in himself, that which we feel on our bodies and on ourselves. And more, a God who chooses to do that. Because he wants to be close to us here and now. God has made himself a guest among his people. That, I believe, is the most surprising and amazing thing about this story. The core of the gospel, the good news in this telling. Because yes, Jesus goes towards the dead corpse lays his hand on it and calls the young man back to life. And yes, the crowd is filled with awe. But the way that Luke tells us the story sets the focus on something else. Jesus meets the tear-filled eyes of this mourning widow. And when this young man is raised to life, what does Jesus do? Luke says, he gave him back to his mother. He gave him back to his mother. He stops to do that. Jesus isn't concerned with showing off his power. His eyes, his heart are fixed on she who mourns and who now has hope. That's where Jesus is with his heart. And that, that changes everything. That God can raise the dead is actually not in itself a revolutionary idea. In, in any case, it wasn't for those who first heard and read a story from Luke. The world that they lived in was a world full of gods who displayed their miracles and strived to show their power. And those were the narratives around. If God is truly God, it's not particularly surprising or challenging to think that God can raise the dead. 
But a God who cares, that is something else. A God who feels our pain within himself. A God who meets the eye of the sorrow-filled widow. A God who makes himself a guest in the manner of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is absurd. Because for that, this is a God that must humble himself. Then this is a God who must love so highly and so deeply that he cares to come that close to our mess and to what life really is living. And it seems to me that that is precisely what Luke is telling us. That God's heart goes out to that widow in Nain. That God cries for his dear friend Lazarus. That God in the midst of the darkness of death, in the terror of the night, God is present And his heart goes out to those of us who wander here. Jesus did not raise to life all the dead that he met in his wanderings in Galilee. Not there and then in any case. And I'm pretty sure that this was not the last sorrow for that widow who on that day got her son back and was given hope. But in all all those that Jesus meets, whether he rises them from the dead or breaks a bread with them, in all those Jesus meets back then as today, this good news remains. God is with us. He chooses closeness and he gives us hope. He shares in our sorrow and our joy, in our tears and in our laughter. God has made himself a guest to his people. Not in the churches and the holy mountains, but in houses and streets where sorrow is found and where hope's seeds can blossom into life. Praise be to God who is with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you, shine his face upon you, that you may know that he is gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you, into the reality of your lives, into your struggles and your joys and your fears and your doubts. May he bring you peace. So may you go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord 
and the world joyfully.